today's scripture reading is from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, You may know that I've been away on sabbatical break since mid-January. If you didn't notice I was gone, don't tell me. That would hurt my feelings. Um, But I have been away, and I just wanted to express my gratitude to the elders of the church, to the congregation, for giving me an opportunity to take some time for prayer and renewal and reflection. And it was so good for me, and I'm thankful. But... I'm glad to be back. I love you guys. I missed you, so I'm glad to be here. Let's, uh, let's pray and just invite the Lord to speak to us today as we look to his word. Father, we need your word. Our souls need your word. We need your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so we ask that he would do that today. And that all the glory would go to Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday. And uh, Palm Sunday, in the tradition of many churches, is the day when we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem a few days before he was killed on the cross. And the gospel writers give us details of that event. They tell us that as Jesus entered the city, um, great crowds of people came out. They greeted him with messianic praises. They waved palm branches. Jesus rode into the city on a donkey. They give us these details. John's gospel and also Matthew's tell us that all of these events were actually the fulfillment of a prophecy that's found in the Old Testament. If you look at verse 15, you see where John actually quotes the words of this prophecy. The prophecy is from the book of Zechariah. And so I want to just begin by asking you guys, as you look at verse 15, it's in your program, um, what are the first two words of the prophecy? All right, now, this happened at the first service. Guys, I've been on sabbatical. I'll be honest, I'm kind of rusty, all right? I'm out of practice If this whole thing is going to work today, I need your help. All right? So church, verse 15, what are the first two words of the prophecy? Again. Fear not. Or some, some translations would render it, do not be afraid. Um. That is significant. I think we, it's easy to miss those first two words. Let me tell you. Uh, th- to me, this indicates that the purpose of this prophecy in Zechariah was not just to give us a few identifying signs to look for so we could recognize the Messiah when he comes. 
It's not like just, just Zechariah thinking, man, it's just telling you, if you ever see someone coming to Jerusalem on a donkey, be nice to the guy, he might be the Messiah. That's not the purpose. Zechariah is telling us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that the purpose of the Palm Sunday events, God's intention is to tell the people of God, listen, to tell you that you don't need to be afraid of what? Of anything. Believer in Christ, you, this is the message of Palm Sunday. Fear not, fear not. You don't need to be afraid. Why? Two reasons, all right? The, the first reason that Zechariah gives us is this. Here, here's what I would say. You don't need to fear. Why? Because Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. Verse 15 says this, fear not, daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is just a way of referring people of Jerusalem, people of Israel. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Jesus is the king. Now, as you know, a king is a person with authority, right? King is a person who sits on a throne. King is a person who has power. You could say this, a king is a person that when, when uh, listen, when they decree something, it happens. And when they command something, it, it's, it gets done. And when they forbid something, listen, it never, ever takes place. That's what a king is. And according to scripture, guys, Jesus is not just a king. He is the king. Have you seen that in the Bible? He's called the king of of kings, meaning any man or woman in this world that has any kind of authority has to bow and submit before the absolute authority of our King, Jesus Christ. He's the king. Now, during my sabbatical, some, what, some verses that I just spent a lot of time with, it meant so much to me, from the book of Ephesians chapter 1 says this, the Father has seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God has placed all things under Jesus' feet. Did you hear that? And it says, and God has appointed Jesus head over everything. So believer in Christ, you know what that means? That means that today... You woke up in a world that is under the absolute sovereign control of your Savior. That's why, that's why the, the follower of Christ does, has no reason to fear. Why? Because Jesus is the King. The one who loves you is in control of this, of this world. When he decrees something, it happens. When, when he commands something, it, it, it takes place. And when Jesus forbids something to happen, even if he's forbidding Satan himself... Listen to me. It never takes place. Come on. You got to help me. Amen. Thank you. All right. It's good to be back. All right. So Jesus is in control. Now, here's where I see that reflected in today's passage. Look at verse 16. It says, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. In other words, it's not, understand Palm Sunday. It's the disciples were not trying to orchestrate these things. 
It's not like they said, oh, man, we got to get our boy to become the Messiah. We, 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 you know, let's, let's get a bunch of people to come out and cheer for him, and maybe we can distribute palm leaves. And Oh, what about the donkey? Somebody get a donkey. They were not trying to make this happen. They didn't even understand this. They didn't know these things. They had no clue what was going on, right? His disciples didn't understand. Now, if you, if you sit down and read through the book of John, you'll probably notice that this is a, a re recurring theme in, God's, in John's gospel. Throughout the gospel of John, Jesus keeps doing things and saying things that don't make any sense to the people around him. I mean, just through the whole gospel, people don't understand. What is he doing? What is he saying? It doesn't make any sense. So I'll, I'll walk you through some of these examples. For example, John chapter 1, Nathaniel doesn't understand how in the world the Messiah could come from a place like Nazareth. All right? John chapter 2, the people don't understand. What does Jesus mean when he says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again? Chapter 3, Nicodemus doesn't understand why Jesus tells him he has to be born again. Chapter 4, the Samaritan woman can't understand why Jesus, a Jewish man, would be talking to her, a Gentile woman. J chapter 6, the disciples don't understand how Jesus could have the nerve to ask them to feed a multitude of 5,000 people when they hardly have enough food for their own lunch. Chapter, chapter 7, Jesus' brothers can't figure him out. They can't understand why he doesn't go make a public appearance in Jerusalem like anyone who's trying to become popular. And then, oh man, John chapter 11, Martha and Mary can't understand why when they sent word to Jesus to tell him that their brother was sick, why he didn't immediately come. Why he deliberately waited and their brother died. It doesn't make any sense at all. And then you get here to chapter 12. And it's, it's a happier note, but it's the same feeling. Jesus is doing things. Jesus is saying things that don't make any sense at all to them. And they don't understand. And that's a, that's a theme through the book of John. And I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Why, have you ever felt that way? I just don't understand what God is doing in my life. I don't understand. Why does he answer my prayers? They seem like good prayer requests. I don't understand why he's letting this happen to my body. I don't understand why he's letting these things happen to my family. I don't understand what's happening in my world. Why is God doing this? Have you ever felt, if you've ever felt that way, then you get a sense of what the disciples were going through. That his disciples did not understand these things. But, the verse says, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and, and had been done to him. In other words, eat, listen, even though everything in the moment from their perspective seemed random and chaotic and confusing, all right, in actuality, everything in their world was, was uh, unfolding exactly according to God's gracious plan. Why? Because Jesus is the king. Because Jesus is in control. Because even when our world seems haphazard and chaotic, listen, believer, your savior is still firmly seated on his throne. He's in control. Um, after this uh, chapter, you get obviously to chapter 13. Uh, the Last Supper, the event that we're going to celebrate together on Thursday night. 
And uh, again, the disciples are confused about some things Christ is doing. And Jesus, in John 13, verse 7, turns to one of his disciples, and he says to him a phrase that I think every follower of Jesus needs to hear at least once a week. You know what he says? Jesus says, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. I wonder if that's anyone here. Is that, is that God's word to you today? Because you're just so hurting. You're so confused. You're so fearful. He's, he's just, listen, just relax. I got this. You don't understand right now. I do. It'll make sense someday. You know, th theologians would, would call that, that concept, this idea that God is in control of everything. They would call that concept God's sovereignty which can be really confusing if you try to figure it out because you get into all these mysteries of, you know, human agency and free will and con contingencies and all this stuff. But listen, um, when you read the Bible, it never talks about God's sovereignty to confuse us. It talks about God's sovereignty, this fact that he is in control of everything that happens, that it will happen according to his plan. It talks about sovereignty not to confuse us, just to comfort us. So we just relax. Uh, years ago, I <coughs> excuse me. Years ago, I I was in a um, I participated in a small group Bible study, and one of the members of that small group was an elderly woman in her in her late seventies, a Christian woman who had suffered a lot in her lifetime. Um, her son, her only child, had committed suicide in his early twenties, and then her husband passed away. She was left a widow. Then she reached the point she couldn't really take care of herself, and and. Uh, she didn't have any family around there, so um, she had to move to another part of the country to live with uh, a relative who would take her in, which meant she had to leave her home, her church, her community, her family. She's, in other words, this is a woman who had lost everything. And yet here's what was weird. Week after week at that small group Bible study, she was undoubtedly the most joyful person in the room. I mean, just brimming with joy and confidence. And, and, it just, and so I'm kind of watching her thinking, you know, what in the, where did she get this? Wherever she got that, I want some of that. You know, what's her secret? And so one day in, in, in this small group Bible study, she, she basically says this. She says, would you, guys, would you guys mind if I tell you my favorite verse in the Bible, my life verse? I'm like, lady, would I mind? I've been waiting for you to tell us. What is it? And she, she shared one verse from the Bible that just, this was the bedrock of her faith. And here's what intrigued me. The verse was not about God's love, or even as important as that is. And the verse was not about God's mercy towards us, not even really about God's faithfulness. The verse was about God's sovereignty. That God has a plan that he has determined and that he will bring it to pass. So her life verse, this verse just, just opened a door for, for joy for her, was Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. What would it be like this week if you just claimed that promise every day this week? No matter what's going on. I know my God, I know who he is, I know my Savior Jesus is the king. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me, no matter what. It transformed her life.
I think she would understand why Zechariah says, fear not, Christian. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Why? One reason, Zechariah tells us the prophecy, because Jesus is the king. Second reason is because Jesus is the humble king. He's the humble king. So, again, if you look at the prophecy that John quotes, verse 15, he says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, riding on a stallion. No, it doesn't say that. It says, mounted on a war horse. No, riding in a limousine, in a, in a huge motorcade. No, descending in a helicopter, surrounded by big men in dark suits, carrying guns. No, it's not, that's not what it says. And that's the way any world leader would arrive, with, with a demonstration of power and authority, and you don't mess with me. That's not the way Jesus, what does it say? It says, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey, a donkey's colt. Now, um, I guess this is saying that Jesus chose to enter the royal city mounted on what many would consider to be the most inglorious creature in the whole animal kingdom. I mean, you've seen donkeys, right, before? You've seen Shrek? Have you seen Shrek? You know what donkeys are like, right? Listen, they're small, they're slow, they're scraggly, they are notoriously uncooperative with their riders. Like if you watch the Olympics, equestrian events, they never ride in on a donkey, right? Because the donkey's not going to obey them. Donkeys are horrible animals. So um, I actually, um, just to make sure I was accurate in what I'm saying about donkeys, I Google imaged donkey yesterday. And, and let me describe what donkeys look like. They have this fat belly, like your uncle, right, who drinks too much beer. It's kind of like that. And... They have these short, stubby little legs, and their, their back slopes like a hammock. I mean, like, they don't even have a backbone. And then they have this huge nose, and they have the dorkiest-looking ears. And so that's what a donkey is, which means no one ever looks cool riding on a donkey. If you think of the most handsome movie star you can think of, he's not going to look cool if he's riding on a donkey, right? So here's the question. Why did Jesus ride into the royal city on a donkey? Maybe he wasn't trying to look cool. Maybe he was trying to look approachable. Like one of us. Like somebody you could trust. Maybe someone you could even trust with your life. Now, why would Jesus want to look that way? I'll tell you why. Because that's who Jesus is. He is not like world leaders who come in to, to, to dominate and control and get their way and, and force you into their plan. No, listen. Jesus is not that kind of king. He's not. He's the humble king. Guys, he's the king that I'm telling you, if you let him rule your life, he does not stifle your individuality. He does not crush your spirit. He does not spit on your dreams. He does not take away your freedom. He sets you free like you've never been. He's that kind of king. Um, and here's, let me tell you why that's, this is so important for you to believe if you're ever going to grow in your walk with Jesus. 
Here's why. Because Jesus is the king. All right, he's the king. And by, by when I say that, I mean that he's not just in charge of the world you live in. He's in charge of you. He, he expects you to view him as your king. He expects you to take his word seriously. He, he expects you to, to obey his commands. And, and here's why. Can we just be honest here? Here's why that's scary. Because sometimes you open the Bible and you read some things that like, I don't really like that. This doesn't make sense to me. Or, you know, if I were to take that seriously, I'm afraid of what might happen in my life. There are some, there are some times when from the lips of the king will come issued a command that might cause you to feel fear, right? And it's so important for you to understand Jesus is not out to hurt you. He's really not. Whenever he gives us a, a, a command or a directive or the Bible teaches us what, what God designs for us to flourish as human beings, listen, whenever he gives us a command, it's for your good. Um, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, there's uh, some neat verses the people of Israel are on the edge of the promised land. They're about to go in. And Moses, <coughs> directed by the Lord, has just given them the law. All right, law? Who likes laws? And, and then Moses says this to the people. He says, take to heart all these words I am giving you today. Follow all the words of this law, for they are not meaningless words to you. They are your life. They're your life. He says, by them, you, you will live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. In other words, Moses was saying to the people, I, I know that sometimes you hear that God has commands and has laws, and it can feel very frightening to you, but will you please just trust him? He's not out to kill you. He's out to give you life. And, and that's the same thing for followers of Jesus as we think about our king. He, he does have expectations for how we live. He does, he does have directives for us as a community, doesn't he? And yet he's the humble king. He didn't come in on a, on a you know, a war jet. He came in on a donkey saying, listen, you can trust me. Trust me. Don't fear not. Don't be afraid to do what I say. So yes, he's our king he calls us to obey. But we don't have to be afraid of that. Right? He's the humble king. And so I, I just wonder if there's anyone here today, and this is a very common experience. I've, oh my goodness, how many times have I been through this? So if you are, don't feel bad. But it, I wonder if there's anyone here today, and you're kind of in that little moment where you're sort of, you know, arm wrestling with the Holy Spirit over something. No, I don't want to. Yes, you do. No, I don't. You know what I mean. Like there's, there, there's an area of obedience that just, it's kind of chafing it feels hard and scary. I've been there. So if you're there, let me just, can I just tell you this? Trust Jesus. Please. He's not out to hurt you. He's really not. This week I was, I was reading from a book and I felt that these words were uh, appropriate. So let me read them to you. The author says this. Christian, this is for you. And if you're not a Christian, I, I, let me just say this. Everything I'm describing right now is offered to you. 
Everything. All the love of Christ is just offered. If you're not a believer, you could come to Christ today and all of this would be offered to you. All right? But, but listen to this, especially if you're struggling with obedience. God loves you deeply. He wants you to have an abundant life. When God gives you a command, it is to protect you and lead you toward his blessings. He, he doesn't want you to miss out on the fullness of life he wants you to experience. God's instructions do not restrict. They free you. God's purpose is that you prosper and live. So as the prophecy would say, fear not. Fear not. Now it might be someone here saying, you know, pa Pastor, I wish I could believe that. But uh, seriously, you're telling me I should believe that Jesus loves me and has my best interests at heart? You're telling me I should believe Jesus loves me just because he rode a donkey? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you should believe that Jesus loves you and has your best interests heart at heart. Not because he rode a donkey, but because he rode that donkey to a cross. I'm sure you have people in your life that love you. I bet no one ever loved you enough to die for you. And I'm sure no one ever loved you enough to die in excruciating pain on the cross for you except for one person. There's only one person. There's only one person. You hear me? Who loves you this much? Jesus. He gave up heaven for you. gave up everything for you. Do you really think it was just a sneaky trick so he could ruin your life? I don't think so. You can trust him. Trust. <laughs> Fear not, says Zechariah. Fear not. Why? Because Jesus, your Savior, is the king. He's in control of your world. You're going through a horrible time right now. But Jesus says, I got this. Will you just relax? Or he's calling you to some difficult step of obedience. And Jesus says, trust me. I'm not just your king. I'm your humble king. I'm the king who died for you. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the way that the Bible introduces us to Jesus. Help us to believe in the depths of our heart that he is everything the word claims about him. Help us to trust him. Help us to rejoice in him. And when we do, we will join our voices to those of the crowd on Palm Sunday, and we will say, Hosanna, in Christ's name.